Eddie Mayer on LBC. With Motorway, where dealers compete to give you the best price for your car. Weather latest, I'm looking at a tweet from Simon Bates, no less. We face a long period without power here in the valley, and my portaloo has blown over. Now, it's a quarter to five, it's Friday, it's LBC, it's Simon Marks' American Week. Eddie, I remember when Simon Bates was sitting in that very chair. I don't know what it was like in your house growing up, but in mine, when Reggie Bosenkay was reading the news on ITV, no one was allowed to talk. I was thinking about him a lot this week because his autobiography, redolent of the hard-charging nature of the news business, is entitled Let's Get Through Wednesday. Well, this week, we did get through Wednesday, despite claims by the Biden administration last Friday afternoon that we might not. Russia could choose, in very short order, to commence a major military action against Ukraine. Jake Sullivan, the president's national security advisor, taking to the White House podium and dramatically shifting the storyline on Ukraine. After a week of fruitless diplomacy, he told Americans going into their weekend to brace for a Russian invasion. There are very real possibilities that it will involve the seizure of a significant amount of territory in Ukraine and the, the seizure of major cities, including the capital city. And he told Americans in Kiev and across Ukraine to get out. We obviously cannot predict the future. We don't know exactly what is going to happen. But the risk is now high enough and the threat is now immediate enough that this is what prudence demands. President Biden headed to Camp David, called Vladimir Putin last Saturday, then Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky the following morning. He huddled with his national security team. Intelligence was reportedly shared with America's European allies, indicating that a Russian invasion would commence in the early hours of Wednesday morning. On Monday at the Pentagon, spokesman John Kirby said President Putin's military buildup was continuing. I would just say this. Should he choose to invade again. He is doing all the things you would expect him to do to make sure he's ready for that option. And on Tuesday, the president himself took to the East Room of the White House, insisting Russia posed an immediate danger to Ukrainian sovereignty, but that the U.S. was absolutely willing to keep talking. Yesterday, the Russian government publicly proposed to continue the diplomacy. I agree. We should give the diplomacy every chance to succeed. And I believe there are real ways to address our respective security concerns. We will not sacrifice basic principles, though. Nations have a right to sovereignty and territorial integrity. They have the freedom to set their own course and choose with whom they will associate. But that still leaves plenty of room for diplomacy and for de-escalation. And the president who insisted last year that he didn't want his administration being distracted by the Russians so that he could keep his focus on solving America's domestic problems found himself trying to send a message directly to the Russian people. The United States and NATO are not a threat to Russia. Ukraine is not threatening Russia. We're not targeting the people of Russia. We do not seek to destabilize Russia. To the citizens of Russia, you are not our enemy. And I do not believe you want a bloody, destructive war against Ukraine 
a country and a people with whom you share such deep ties of family, history and culture. The Kremlin again accused the U.S. of hysteria, insisting President Putin had no plans to invade and was in fact withdrawing military forces from Ukraine's borders, not building them up. Wednesday came and went with no invasion, although a cyber assault on the Ukrainian government and many of the country's financial institutions did occur and certainly looked like it might have been an act of Russian hybrid warfare. And on those troop withdrawals, the Americans called Russia's bluff. How high is the threat of a Russian invasion right now? Very high. They have not moved any of their troops out. They've moved more troops in. President Biden yesterday departing the White House for a trip to Ohio. We have reason to believe that they are engaged in a false flag operation. They have an excuse to go in. Every indication we have And just as the president was speaking in Washington at the United Nations Security Council in New York, I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. Secretary of State Antony Blinken with a detailed projection of what the U.S. insists is on the cards. Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. This could be a violent event that Russia will blame on Ukraine or an outrageous accusation that Russia will level against the Ukrainian government. We don't know exactly the form it will take. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia. The invented discovery of a mass grave, a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real attack using chemical weapons. Next, the attack is planned to begin. Russian missiles and bombs will drop across Ukraine. Communications will be jammed. Cyber attacks will shut down key Ukrainian institutions. After that, Russian tanks and soldiers will advance on key targets that have already been identified. We've been warning the Ukrainian government of all that is coming. And here today, we are laying it out in great detail with the hope that by sharing what we know with the world, We can influence Russia to abandon the path of war and choose a different path while there's still time. The air in that room was thick with the consequences of recent history. It wasn't that long ago that one of Mr. Blinken's predecessors, the late Colin Powell, sat in that very chair assuring the world that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And General Powell even displayed satellite pictures to prove it, though the world later discovered it wasn't true. So Mr. Blinken addressed the elephant in the room. Is America on the level? The information I presented here is validated by what we've seen unfolding in plain sight before our eyes for months. And remember that while Russia has repeatedly derided our warnings and alarms as melodrama and nonsense, they have been steadily amassing more than 150,000 troops on Ukraine's borders, as well as the capabilities to conduct a massive military assault. In other words, trust us, we're Americans. President Biden will spend the afternoon here on the phone with European leaders. Another long weekend lies ahead. The Secretary of State says he will meet Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in Europe next week, but only if there is no invasion between now and then.
Within the last two hours in the eastern Ukrainian city of Donetsk, air raid sirens were activated. Russian separatist leaders there say they are beginning a mass centralized evacuation of civilians to Russia. The week ends with the region an absolute tinderbox. Right now, it would be a brave gambler who put money on that Blinken-Lavrov meeting actually taking place. There were lots of other notable events occurring in America this week. Donald Trump's accountants fired him, telling investigators that 10 years of the Trump Organization's financial records should no longer be considered reliable and that their long association with his business empire is now at an end. The former president lost yet another round in court this week. His efforts to derail the New York Attorney General's investigation of his businesses was thrown out on its ear. And we spent a lot of time, of course, focusing on another legal matter this week, Prince Andrew's out-of-court settlement with Virginia Dufre. It came with no admission of guilt, but a substantial financial payout. And that is exactly what happened this week in another civil action, one that is a real landmark of possible future change in America. So the settlement is $73 million. You're really in a, in a situation that's very unique when you experience something like somebody being told they're getting a certain amount of money, a lot of money, and having that hurt. Lawyer Josh Koskoff announcing this week that his team had secured a multi-million dollar settlement for nine families who lost their six and seven-year-olds in the December 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. Remington, the manufacturers of the AR-15 style assault rifle used in that shooting, became the first gun maker ever held responsible for the tragedies their weapons cause. And the families had to to find a way of circumventing laws passed by Congress in 2005 that give gun manufacturers immunity from prosecution for the mayhem their weapons are used to create. It's a law President Biden is trying to overturn, and the Sandy Hook families this week found a loophole to avoid it. A little over nine years ago, I sat my two, I saw my two children get onto a school bus. Just another normal Friday at the start of a busy holiday season. Now, I would suggest, in fact, I would even urge that you stop whatever you're doing and give Nicole Hockley, the mother of one of the Sandy Hook six-year-olds, three minutes of your time. I was excited to see my youngest, Dylan, later that afternoon, knowing I'd be going to his classroom to make gingerbread houses. We never made a gingerbread house. And Dylan never came home. The next time I saw him was in his casket, where I was able to hold his hands but not touch his body, which had been shot five times, killing him instantly in his first grade classroom. We moved our family from England to America because of our belief in the American dream, the land of possibilities, where a brighter future was achievable for our children and where Dylan could receive the best support for his autism. Less than two years after moving to Newtown, our dream turned into the American nightmare, where for too many, the right to bear arms is a higher priority than the right to life. When we first started speaking to different law firms about our ideas, we kept hearing it was impossible, an unwinnable case, that firearm manufacturers were immune, untouchable, 
and that though they expressed their deepest sympathies for our loss, there was nothing they could do. For eight long years, we've continued our fight to hold Remington accountable for its role in prioritizing profit above safety and using reckless marketing techniques to appeal to at-risk and violence-prone young men. The Sandy Hook shooter chose the AR-15 for his massacre because of its ability to inflict the most lethal damage in the shortest amount of time. It's not a useful weapon for hunting or for self-defense. It was designed to kill quickly and efficiently. The gun industry has been shielded from being held accountable for their part in these tragedies. Today, that changes. Gun manufacturing will continue. People will still purchase firearms, and I hope they continue to use these weapons safely and responsibly. But this victory, this landmark historic victory, sends a forceful and compelling message to manufacturers and to the insurance and banking industries that support them. This is a high-risk market. It is not profitable, and you will be held accountable. Nothing will bring Dylan back. The closest I get to him now is by kissing his urn every night, telling him I love him and I miss him. But I made him a promise, and I'll keep working to deliver that promise for the rest of my life. My hope for this lawsuit is that by facing and finally being penalized for the impact of their work, Gun companies, along with the insurance and banking industries that enable them, will be forced to make their practices safer than they've ever been, which will save lives and stop more shootings. The tragedy of all this is in fact limitless because Sandy Hook was a crime of such gravity that obviously it should have changed the calculus about gun control in America. I mean, if two dozen dead six-year-olds doesn't stir Congress to act, it is unfortunately clear that nothing ever will. And while she's right, the lawsuit's success and some very low-level initiatives on gun violence that President Biden is now implementing will save a handful of lives going forwards it will do absolutely nothing to head off the next gun outrage. And after 29 years here, I can promise you there is one right around the corner. There may be a theme that connects the incendiary crisis over Ukraine with that lawsuit in the Sandy Hook school shooting. To find it, you have to go back to the height of the Cold War, June 1985, Sting's debut solo album, a track called The Russians. He postulated that the world might be okay if the Russians loved their children too. His assumption, though, was that the Americans loved theirs. And of course they do, Eddie, but perhaps just not quite enough. Simon Marks's American Week, back next Friday at a quarter to five. A weather update from our listeners, Ivan in Wanstead. Eddie, forget that guy's earpods. I was in Wanstead earlier and a hat came flying along from the Leighton direction and landed on my head. I didn't like the style, so I binned it. And Tom says, Eddie, it hasn't been this windy since the 1980s and judging by the music videos from the time, the wind lasted the whole decade. Would it help at all if we started singing power ballads?
This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.